Good morning, is it not? Fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, we just ordered that up to be that way for today. Not tomorrow, but just today. <laughs> it is uh, it's great to be here again, isn't it? And uh, we celebrate our Lord, our Savior, and what He's done for us. Who He is, what He's about, what He does. You know, uh, the world is hoping for somebody that might come along and unite all the nations together. And that is their great hope. Because there's a lot of things wrong with this world and everybody recognizes there's things that are wrong. A lot of people are in the midst of hopelessness right now. Somebody, if somebody could come along and bring along a sense of security to the world in this time of fear that we live in. And so, we know as Christians, we know who that is, and that's an automatic, it's like, yeah, that's Jesus Christ. I mean, the answer is so simple. But most people don't know it. That's the thing. Boy, wouldn't we love to get that news to them. There is hope in Christ. He is the one. But, we know because of God's word on the horizon is the most interesting, fascinating man in the world ever who will be coming to take his place as the ultimate man. He will be dynamic. He will be charming. He will be one who is compelling and his personality will be very charismatic. What an individual this is. I mean, this is the, like the perfect man to most people. He will be admired. He will be adored. He will be worshipped like no other man in history. And yes, we can think of Jesus Christ was worshipped, but he came to his own and his own received him not. Most of the world has not trusted in Christ. He is not the hope to the world. He is. But to some of us, we know exactly who he is and what he's about. You know, he'll be more popular than Jesus. Jesus was very popular as he had thousands thrown around him. Jewish people, some Gentiles, but most still denied him to be God. We know who this man is don't we, that we're talking about. We know Christ, but to the world, here's what they're looking for. One who is called the Antichrist that we see in Scripture. They're not looking for Antichrist. They don't even really think about that much, but they're looking for somebody to take care of them so that they would have plenty of food, clothes, a home, those are like basic things that everybody wants, right? Some don't have that. They're not secure in, in anything. And so they would take somebody who would come like an Antichrist. You know, Antichrist is really not <coughs> used. That particular word, that name, Antichrist, is not used all the way until 1 John chapter 2 where it says, it talks about the Antichrist, and there are many Antichrists. It's the first time it's actually used, and then John also uses it in his uh, other epistle and in the Revelation that, that he used, Antichrist. He's also known as the man of sin, the lawless one, 
the beast, the little horn, and the prince that will come. That's what he's known as in many other places in Scripture. Now, if you happen to bring that name up with somebody who doesn't know anything about it, or they, they've heard Antichrist, everybody's heard about 666, and there's a lot of jokes about it and such. You know, uh, you might get sneered at by people. They may make fun of you that you would actually believe in it. They would say, you're, you're kidding, right? You don't really believe in that, do you? Well, well sure. Of course I do. It's in Scripture. Well, you know, it's, it's as, as if maybe he's in the grouping of Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, Antichrist, and it seems so far unfetched, or, or far-fetched to the unbeliever that they just, they just can't believe in it. You know, it's some kind of vain imagination of a conspiracy theorist. I can speak out here today. We know that in the movies, Antichrist has been very popular. There have been very many movies made, especially on, in Christian labels, actually, believe it or not. But, um, you know, we see the Antichrist throughout Scripture. The Old Testament speaks of him. Of course, Daniel is one place where that would be. Very detailed descriptions in the book of Daniel. But also, Jesus talked about this Antichrist. Paul talked about this Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2. And we know that John writes about it. 1 John, 2 John, here in Revelation, of course. And uh, so, there's much length given to this personality. The word anti usually is what you would think of would be against. If you are anti-whatever, you are against that belief. Um, also, though, it means another one, and that's true. He is very much against Christ. He's against God. If anybody ever is, it's him. But also it means to come in the place of to take the place of the Messiah. He is the Messiah that the whole world is looking for. They want a Savior, a Messiah, the way that they want it. So, here he is. Whenever he comes, the world will embrace him fully. And he will come with a polished, perfect kind of personality that just takes in everybody. They love this man. He's the ultimate man. And therefore, we see the numbers that we are all familiar with. People are afraid to put it on their, you know, to, to have it in any kind of, a, a, let's say, a license, like a driver's license. If they see those three numbers together, they don't want it because, uh, you know, that means that they would be the Antichrist or something like that, right? We've seen that 666 all throughout, and of course, uh, that's what he is uh, going to have that number. And actually, the, man, the, numbers, the number of man is six. The number of God is seven, which is perfection, completeness. Six is like the greatest of God's creation, man, but he still comes short of God and his glory. Now, 666 is a triple six. 
And that's even more so the ultimate man here, Antichrist. The perfect man. That's what the world wants. Throughout history, there have been many leaders that people have the idea of who could be the Antichrist. You can go all the way back to the very early church. In 37 AD, shortly after Christ died, there was one by the name of Caligula, a Roman emperor, who had his statue placed in Jerusalem, the holy city. And to Christians, that was the Antichrist. Uh, Nero was also called the Antichrist, or was known as that, the Beast. Actually, the early church called him the Beast. It's interesting, isn't it? Napoleon, Charlemagne, some of those interesting people in throughout history, and then kind of recently, and now it's almost a, a century ago, 90 years ago, uh, and a little bit for, uh, less, uh, Hitler, of course. Everybody uses Hitler, and they thought he was the Antichrist, and I could see why they did. Because if you were living at that time, you would probably be wondering, wonder if this is the one. Because he had all of Germany following him. He had them eating out of his hands, and he was upsetting the whole world like nobody had before. Mussolini also was called the Antichrist, and some of you will remember Henry Kissinger. And then Gorbachev was considered to be the Antichrist. Presidents have been known as the Antichrist. John F. Kennedy was thought of to be one, like that. And then of all people, Ronald R. Reagan, 666. He was the Antichrist, they said. And then you can move it all the way up to now, and within the last year, some people have called Donald Trump the Antichrist. Well, throughout a lot of Protestant history, the Pope has been considered the Antichrist. And even before the Reformation, people saw the Pope as being an Antichrist coming from Rome. And I can see that being, and in a sense, yes, I can, I can say he would be an Antichrist, the Antichrist in a sense. But now we're hearing that the Internet is the Antichrist. <laughs> Because of www. If you go into the, you got to do a lot of mathematics sometimes to figure these out. But it's the Hebrew letter in the alphabet Vav or W as we would see it as, and it's the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And www would be triple six, so therefore the internet system is the Antichrist. And of course there could be a lot to that, you know, in that sense. It's definitely been a time that has uh, moved things up very rapidly, but I don't think that that is the Antichrist in its ultimate sense. I think what we can do, though, is dispel a lot of myths that are about the Antichrist. And one of the main texts in all the Bible is where we're at today. In Revelation chapter 13. And here we see, uh, starting off with the dragon and then the beast, you have all of these, you know, animal kind of names. And they're kind of fearful, in a 
sense, and so characteristics, description are given of this man that has so much magnetism that draws people to him like nobody ever. The world will adore and will literally worship him. And this will lead to the destruction. So that's where we're at. We're in chapter 13. We're ready for this. And so let's read this text today. It's going to be the ten verses. Let's all stand and uh, we'll read this about, about the beast. My title of this outline today is called Child of the Devil. And we'll see why he's called that. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if he had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. And authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us the inspired Word of God in a text that seems so fearful and hopeless, but yet there is hope with the true Christ. There is no hope with the Antichrist. So today as we look at this, Lord, may we focus upon who the true Christ is versus the false one. And we can delineate what that is and that we would be able to answer the questions that people who are lost could have. Because this explains what has been going on in the world for thousands of years, and especially it helps us understand somewhat the time that we live in now. 
And so, Lord, with your spirit, we can understand these deep things that you have written for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We start off with the first point here, which is the origin of the beast. Where does the beast come from? Verse 1 and 2. The very first verse says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Don't get this one confused with the beast, but I will tell you that they are related in a way, in a lot of ways. The dragon is coming right off of where we were at last week, or the last time we, I think it was Resurrection Day last week, right? We had the resurrection message. Well, this dragon in chapter 12, which was a couple of weeks ago, where we were at, we see is Satan. Uh, the dragon is explained and even says it in chapter 12, so there's no problem with interpreting that. Anybody can get that one. Um, it's left him kicked out of heaven, if you remember. That's what chapter 12 introduces. He's thrown out of heaven for the last time. He's, he still has access in our time right now. He goes up and accuses the saints day and night, right, as it says. So we know that. He was kicked out of heaven in his way that whenever he was an angel, a cherub, uh, an anointed one, uh, who praised God. He was the most significant of all the angels. And uh, we know that he wanted to be like God. He wants worship. And that's really what this chapter 13 is about. Satan wants worship from all the world, from all of mankind. And he does it through a man. If he comes in and possesses that man, it's like the embodiment of Satan through a man. Like us, flesh and blood, in that sense. So the context of chapter 12 about the dragon, and we know that the dragon is now on the seashore. He's no longer going up to God and, and talking about us and complaining about us and uh, trying to condemn us, right? He can't do that anyway. But so now he and the demons are on the earth to unleash their anger and wrath upon the earth, upon all mankind, especially the chosen of God. So the dragon is standing on the seashore. He's not in the air. He's now on the earth. He's kicked out. whole universe is falling to pieces under the wrath of God. From chapter 6 to somewhere you know, through 10. And also now we see the wrath of Satan unleashed. Satan will use a man to get done what he wants done. And he'll get to do what he's never been able to do before. God will allow this. This is part of God's plan. That's what's interesting of what happens. God does not make man sin. He does not sin. 
He is separated from sin, is absolutely holy, but yet in his ordained plan, things happen. He is sovereign after all. So how can we explain all of this? Well, it's God's story. And I'm glad that God has this all in control. He is standing on the seashore, that is like here on the earth, amongst people, in the middle of the nations, he's standing among them as if he possesses them. In fact, what he's going to do, he's going to get two allies, the beast, the false prophet. Beast is what we're looking at today. So it says, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. There we have the dragon. Now let's go to the beast. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne, great authority. Stop there. Yeah, the beast, God calls him that. This is coming from God's name. He's a beast. When you think of beast, you think of something ferocious, terrible. Therion is the Greek word, and it means wild, venomous monster. Now, this is going to be a human monster looking like any man, but he's a monster. It's, he's a powerful monster. Now, some have called the Antichrist a system, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, because a lot of this is system. It is system. And it comes from Antichrist, but keep going further. Satan. The system. But the devil in this system is going to use a man to make this system happen. And we know that in 2 Thessalonians 2, um, he is the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. Uh, he is the one who is going to cause all of this to wreak havoc. He's vicious. He's savage. He's a son of perdition, a son of destruction. 2 Thessalonians 2 says he is wicked. But Opposite of that, whenever he comes, he comes in a way that is very suave, sophisticated. People will fall after him, and they see that he's a peacemaker. You remember in Revelation 6 where you have the white horse? That white horse is the Antichrist bringing peace. And that's how people get sucked up to him. It's like, stops the wars. And that'll get people used to him. And he'll even put together the Muslims and the Jews. And they will be allowed, the Jews will, to be putting a temple upon the Temple Mount. We explained all of that. Now we're getting why all of this happened. We saw it first through 6 through 10, 9. God's view. Now we're looking at it with how Satan is doing this. This is God's plan. Now here's what Satan is doing. Here's what the beast is doing. The beast is related to Satan, folks. That's not that it, you know he's born you know like what Satan was uh, you know created being, but he's a man, but he is possessed and controlled by Satan. 
in this sense, the, the beast's origins are from Satan. Because everything that he thinks and does is inspired by Satan. And Satan is the master of all deception, isn't he? And this man is going to think and act like Satan. Christians are the other way around. We want to think and act like Christ. And everything that we think, we want to have the mind of Christ, don't we? To think that the way that he does. So when things go opposite the way that we see, we get upset by it, and, and we should, but then should you be surprised? Well, it's because you've been made righteous, and you're now thinking righteous ways, even though the flesh comes up with some things that are not so righteous and doesn't reflect Christ. But your nature is now of Christ. You do think those ways that are good because it's Christ in you. Well, this beast thinks exactly the way that Satan thinks. Satan just puts it into his mind, and he is going to come in the way that Satan always does, in a very deceptive way. Not with horns and the, what, the red suit and the flames and whatever else he has, right? Pitchfork and all that. That's not biblical at all. You don't see that in there. He doesn't operate that way. I think we're smarter than that. He knows that. So he comes in a sophisticated way. And so therefore he uses this intelligent man. Highly intelligent. And he comes out of the sea. The sea is figurative of the nations. And all the things that go with the storms of the sea. You know, the sea is some place where... Sounds like a great thing to do to get on a boat and get out in the ocean and go out maybe a mile or two. But when you start thinking 50 miles, 100 miles, and you know, how about a, how about a thousand miles out there where there's nothing around? I don't like that. I really wouldn't want that. Now, if I had to cross the ocean and get there, you know, I'd rather fly. But if I had to go the ocean, okay. But I'll tell you what, it's kind of scary. And you watch some of those movies, you know, and the storms come, and then the boats capsize, turn over, people are out there in their life jackets and wanting to drink the water, and they can't, they're miserable. You know, it's, it's, it has tremendous waves. Storms are awesome. Even the Sea of Galilee, it would come up out of nowhere, and Jesus, with the disciples, was caught more than one time out there. They were fishermen. That happened quite frequently. They're very close to the shore, but it would be a horrible thing. Well, the sea, that's the way it is. And when you get a uh, view, though, in heaven, it, it speaks of a glassy sea, smooth, with no waves, no storms. It's perfect, all calm. That's what you like, don't you? And... So, that is the idea, coming out of the sea. He's coming from the midst of the people. He's a regular person. In chapter 17, verse 15, it says, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Different context there because it's after the thousand-year kingdom where there is one last uprising before the eternal state, and it's the dragon and influencing people again, the harlot that's, you know, harlot sits, and of course this is at a time where 
during the tribulation here. So whenever God uses that terminology, we can see it's a figure of speech representing, though, coming out of the people. The figure of the nations of the earth. Uh, now it says ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems. And so we try to explain that a little bit. If we went back to chapter 12, verse 3, and this is why I say that the beast is related to the dragon. Verse 3, Then another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Just like this, Satan influences the beast so much that he is the one. He gives these to the beast. The seven heads, the ten horns, what are these? It's a family likeness in the way that, you know, that he is, you know, a son of Satan in the sense that he is, he looks just like, a, you know, a son to a father. Still human, though. He's an emissary. He's an agent. He's a son of Satan, if you will. There's never, ever been one more like the devil than this beast. This is what the beast looks like. I mean... Here it is, Satan operating through him. Now the horns, what's that? When you speak of, of horns, now we're not talking about trumpets and trombones here, uh, but you're thinking, well, a ram's horn, you could think of, sometimes they call that trumpet, you know, but a you know, ram's horn, the, the Hebrew people would use. And so therefore, it, it meant it would have a noise, uh, you know, a sound that would get the people uh, gathered together, announcing festivals and certain times of the year or a battle that was to come but it came from a ram a ram has that for offense and defense animals have horns to kill their prey and also to protect them don't they offensive and defensive weapons we're, we're speaking here of power that's the idea. The Antichrist doesn't have these visible things going on. I have some pictures down here, you know, and those are just like cartoons. They're representing uh, the beast, the Antichrist, and such, and uh, all of these. But they're, they're, these are figures that show the reality, though, of this man as he will uh, carry on certain aspects of what you see in Daniel. These same three animals are found in Daniel, the leopard, the bear, and the lion. And uh, those are three beasts there. And he is taking on the personalities of all three of those beasts. The power that's there, we're talking strength and force, folks. No nation, no empire, no man has ever had this kind of power. And I know we're all concerned about the president that we have at this time and the power that he has in doing executive orders. And it's kind of um, concerning to us because he's doing things without even the help of Congress, with the help, the help of people. And he's doing it like no president has ever done before. Now, 
He's not our Antichrist. Uh, he can't even speak a sentence, and unless he changes real quickly, I am not purporting him to be the Antichrist at all. But I'm just saying, when somebody gets power, it's amazing how every one of them go down. And that's the way it's been through history. So the power that's given to this man, nobody's ever had. That's the idea. Whether it be the power, he's going to have kings that are underneath him, but he has the power over them. Simply symbolic, but it's uh, speaking about military power, speaking about political might. We're talking about the religious power that he has. You see, this is incredible that this man gets his power. In chapter 17, verse 12, you get uh, something that's going along with this, where it speaks of the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not received a kingdom yet. That's what he's telling John. But they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour, for a while. Not very long. There's going to be people underneath the Antichrist that are considered to be kings or leaders underneath him. But he's controlling all of this um, for a short time. But it speaks about the horns. Now, it's interesting. These horns could actually be what a lot of people purport, just putting forth maybe some ideas, could actually be what would be the European community because... You have the three animals, the bear and the leopard and the lion. You see that in Daniel 7, and I think we're going to wind up going there pretty shortly here. Um, what you have, there are three beasts that he will mention in Revelation 7, and there's a fourth beast, which really is pointing to a culmination of those other three beasts. Um, the Roman Empire was the fourth that Daniel saw in the dream. The interpretation that Daniel had from the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, was, where was Nebuchadnezzar from? Babylon. There was a great statue at the head of this was Babylon, or Nebuchadnezzar. And then you go down a little further in the body, this area right in here, and this would be called, it would be made of silver, and the Medes and the Persians came along and beat the Babylonians and took control over the world. And then the next one would be Alexander, who is a Greek. The Greeks came along, and in history there's nobody who can argue with this. Daniel prophesied before this happened. And I don't know of any good scholar, reputable scholar, that would even challenge any of this. This is historically already happened. Babylonian Empire, Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. Okay, well, in Daniel, and we might look at that in a moment, but you see the, the bear, you see the lion, you see the leopard. Leopard would, you know, was taken by Alexander the Great, by I think it was 27 years old, and then he conquers the world in a short amount of time like that. And like a leopard, and of course one's like a bear, and the fierceness there, and of course the lion, you know, the king of the jungle with his fierceness and power, and anyway, and all the hunger that's involved. 
So, uh, you can say, okay, well that's four. I thought there were seven heads, ten horns. We said the ten horns. Well, let's get back to the seven heads. Seven world empires. You can say, four. What will you mean? Okay, here's what we have. We have, going back to the first world empire that controlled the world, Wazoo, the, the Egyptians. And then later came another empire that controlled the world. That was the Assyrians. Then came the Babylonians, and that's where we get the Daniel prophecy. He gives something that was telling beforehand, but it would happen very shortly. As a matter of fact, it was happening right then, because Nebuchadnezzar was representing that gold, the head. So there are the Egyptians, the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Roman Empire. How many empires do we have? Six. There's going to be one coming out of the old Roman Empire. That's You have the legs, which was, was divided. You have the iron and the clay, as it's mentioned in Daniel chapter 2. And it goes to the feet. The Roman Empire lasted for a few hundred years. Somewhere in about the 5th century, it kind of decomposed, even though it was still kind of there, but it really didn't have the power. It really wasn't the Roman Empire anymore, but you know it operated for even a, you know a thousand years. Uh, but it really was that the countries really still had their own say so, and there really wasn't any emperor that was leading it all at that time. So, you know, there were certain kings that stand out, but they were really nothing. But the empire is going to be, like in Daniel 2, revived in the sense that the feet now will take their course and their iron and their clay. The toes are ten kingdoms, ten nations, or ten regions of the world even. If it's not out of that Roman empire, it's representing the whole world, but that Roman Empire coming back together, which is Europe. We've seen the European community, and I know down through the years it's had 10, it's had 12, it's had more, it's had less. And now you're starting to hear a little bit of uh, strange things, people getting out of it. Brexit, you know, like England, and people come, they come, they go, and so who knows, it might be that, I can't be dogmatic about it, it could be 10 regions of the world that have a king for each one and the Antichrist overruling all over them in that very last time period. So that's kind of what uh, what we're getting at there. I don't know if I probably ought to do... Uh, if you can hang on, I'll, I'll come back to our Daniel and we'll see where, where those beasts, how they fit in, and try to make that a little more clear. Uh, you say, what's going on? What's, what's with all of this? Okay, And sometimes one can say, well, Dennis, I think you're really over-interpreting this. And it, and it could be. Um, I put out forth what, you know, I study, I read other people, and then other people are going to have other different views, too. Some don't even believe any of this. 
Okay. Similar along the line, I have to present it if we go through this. I have to put forth what I, I guess I started uh, 40 years ago. It's been right at 40 years ago. You know, I, I think about that. It's about 1980 where I picked up the Bible and started reading Revelation and then Daniel. And this doesn't make it true just because I started reading it. Many other people have read it too. They have different views. But that's what got me interested in the Bible. That's what counts. That's what really got me interested in knowing really what the, the Bible says and, and all the way throughout it. So here we are today. And I'm in a book that I have read many times. I've taught it many, many times. And I almost kind of got tired of teaching it. Not tired of God's Word there, but it really got... Everybody wanted to hear it, so here we go again. And, and I know Debbie was at the very outset of, of it all. And uh, Carolyn... Of course, Carolyn was, was there, and uh, and then later on, I think uh, uh, Penny came in, and uh, Michael was a little bitty taught, probably doesn't even remember that at the time. He was just a little kid, but he probably remembers we went through some of this. But what am I saying here? Well, we have to go with one route, otherwise I'm not going to explain every every detail on every everybody has. But I think I can get it pinpointed down to this. I don't think too many people disagree with this. The world does want a world government. Yeah, that's obvious what everybody wants. You've heard globalism for quite some time now. All of us have heard that. We started hearing it with George Bush, a Republican, mentioned it in 1990. I couldn't believe he said it. When he's talking about a one world, the new world order is what he said. And I've been studying this for about 10 years now, and I'm going, I know what he's saying. I can't believe he's saying this. Well, news to me. The more that I started thinking about it, I go, my. Other people started using that terminology. They've been using it, but it was kind of quiet and held back. All of a sudden, it became right up front. That was 30 years ago, folks. We've been hearing this. So nobody can argue with me the fact that they want a world government. It's called globalism. And they want a world constitution. Not the American constitution, but a world constitution. They want a world parliament. They want a world economy. We're talking about a one world economy. A world law. Our laws may not matter to what's coming. Our money, cash, is not going to mean anything in this. It's all going to change. And you've been hearing about the reset. They come out and say it now. It's coming from leaders in the political realm. Some are not for it, of course, and I'm certainly not. But it might be in part of God's plan. But I still don't want it because I know where it's leading. And then, above all, or not at least as far as I'm concerned, a world religion. It's not above all, but a world religion. All nations are to be unified in all of these. And everybody has to change their thinking, their minds. Satan would like to orchestrate a one world government where he leads it all. Because, see, he still has a lot of resistance. Even among people who are not believers. They don't want a one-world government because they know what happens with it. They know what happens with socialism and 
communism, and we don't want it. Get it out of here. Most of the United States, I still believe, are thinking that way. I won't say most, I'll say a majority, maybe a little better than 50%. Uh, if they really knew what it was all about, I don't think anybody would ever want this kind of thing when they would see the results of it. But anyway, all nations are to be unified under this world government. Long came 2011, it's very interesting, the Vatican pushed for globalism. And so there you have even the religious realm now saying we want to be part of this one world government and have a one world religion. What is it going to be, Catholicism? No, it can't be. That's just too narrow. It's going to be Protestant? No, it's not even going to be Christianity at all. Matter of fact, that is the worst kind because it claims exclusivity and it is not wanted in this one world government, one world religion, economy. There are obvious consequences to finding a one world, and you can go back to Genesis 10, 11, the Tower of Babel. Here is what Alan Bloom wrote a few years ago, called the closing of the American mind. It's about education, and that's why we're at where we're at, because the education, even since my time as a kid, but especially when the 1980s started, it called values clarification, and it changed everything, and that's why you're seeing a lot of your sons and daughters who are in their 30s, who are in their 40s, approaching even 50, that are buying this whole one world socialistic government because that's what they were taught and rammed in their mind and that is the only way that things ought to be and we are all wrong those who think that socialism is wrong so here's what Alan Bloom said in his book it's to force students to recognize that there are other ways of thinking in other words, that's essential to globalism. He says, in order to establish a world community and train its members to be persons devoid of prejudice. Bloom's use of prejudice there, by the way, is tongue-in-cheek for in, uh, this new community that uh, they want. There can be no moral absolutes. You can't have moral absolutes in this. That's why we've been hearing no absolutes for quite some time. It definitely has been ripe for many years. And the fruit is here. The fruit has already bloomed out. You saw the flowers happening. The fruit is here. And... It would be prejudice to suggest one point of view would be right and another wrong, uh, the other one would be wrong. That is not going to work in a one world system. It cannot. Your thinking, your mind has to be changed. Where do you start? You start with the little two-year-olds and they take them right out of the house at a young age and they educate them. Now, Granted, some of you know that you come from smaller schools, and they didn't. Their school system really didn't buy a lot of that stuff, or didn't even have it at all. 
So you say, well, that didn't happen in our school, and, and it may not have. But you look, you know, we're in a pretty conservative area, but you look all across the rest of the United States, and you'll see something different. Uh, anyway, it's about taking away absolutes. Nothing is really right, so nobody should have any opinion that would be negative toward what this system sets up. You have to agree with everything. We've always had the freedom of speech, to have different beliefs. And if you don't like it, you elect that person in. We see Satan doesn't like democracy. He doesn't like the people to make sense. He would like to have one person lead all of this. So the way to create globalism is to, is to eliminate the absolutes. This is right. This is wrong. Well, we hear that for a long time, you know, and now it has come, it's exploded. Now it's getting rotten, this fruit is, because anybody should recognize it. It's here. You cannot any longer really be right with what the system is saying is whenever a baby is born and, and everybody says, that's a boy, that's a girl. You can have a two-year-old come up and say, oh, look, mommy, look at the baby boy. They, they know. See, they have to be retrained. We can't call them boys, girls, men, women. It's now like a person or it or something. But it's not that. And it's got to the point of where boys dress up like girls and play sports with the girls. And they win all the track meets and all the softball games and uh, everything that goes with it. You go on and on, and they're getting upset. The very women who have been purporting the fact that there's no difference between men and women at least would say, but I'm a woman. And so there should be a woman president. And you go, none of this is making any sense. The very ones who say there is no woman and there's no men are now the very ones that will be the first woman as president. Or the ones who say it's racist to say put a black in front of somebody, and it'll be the first black female president. And you go, that doesn't fit either because do you see the hypocrisy in all this? It, so we've got to get anything that seems right. They've got to get to the point where that right is actually wrong. And they put it into the heads enough to people that they finally buy it. They actually buy that. It's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Um, I think to roll this, I need to do this. We might just stick on that one for the rest of the day and call it over. I don't know why this is not working. I'm sorry. All of a sudden, just stop it. If somebody could just go up here and point for the arrow that says down, we could get to the next one. But um, what what am I what am I saying ultimately? Well, uh, Linda Falkenstein, for example, Northwest Regional Educational Laboratory says the circle black and white answers probably never really existed, but the time is long past when even the myth can endure. Competent world systems must act in the large zones of grays. 
where absolutes are absent. It's the gray area comes in and knocks out all that's right. Well, that just takes everything here that's that is here that's truth. This claims to be absolute truth in a way. Christianity says that Jesus is God. That does not fit in at all. We are the first people that they want to change, and if we can't be changed, they'll do something else. They will re-educate us, as they say. Well, this is the most dangerous of global education then whenever it comes to the area of religion. And it has been introducing tolerance to us for quite some time. Um, they have comparative religions in school, which is a way of really teaching tolerance of all viewpoints. Your view is not necessarily right or the only one. If it is to you, okay. But if you're Christian, it is not right at all. One's choice of religion, after all, doesn't really matter since nothing is right, nothing is wrong. It's going to be necessary to create globalism. It's to eliminate dogmatism. And what I'm doing here today would be considered dogmatism. Everything you believe is dogmatism. And so, we're going to have to eliminate that reflection that's coming off some... Co <laughs> I don't know if you guys see that, but it's, you can't do anything about it. You probably can't. It's right that, yeah, somebody just said, hey, that's an idea. That might do it. That might do it. Fantastic. All right, thank you. That was like the spotlight. <laughs> okay, now, we got to move on. And I don't even know if we can even do it. I spent way too much time on all that. Um, look at Daniel 7, 4 through 6. Okay, quickly. Daniel 7, 4 through 6. And here we are. The first was like, this is a vision of uh, these animals, beasts. The first was like a lion had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking like its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. It's the first beast. It's a lion. And behold, another beast, the second one, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side and the three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth and thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this, I kept looking, behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The, bird, the beast also had four heads, the men was given to it. Without going too much deep into what that is, those are the same three beasts that we find in Revelation. Now, they're topsy-turvy. I mean, you have them listed differently in Revelation 13, but it's the same three. It's really those beasts or uh, the empires or what we saw in Revelation 2 that equals to those, uh, the Babylonians, Medes, and the Persians. Egyptians and Syrians were before them. That's what uh, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, though. And so we have those those three uh, beasts, and that's where we're at. Um, on, on the deal with uh, no democracy, that means there's no accountability to the people. The leaders, the leader, can do whatever he wants. Uh, political chaos, spiritual despair, economic despair, all of those things welcome in somebody who can do this. Economic depression, people get to the point where they can't, they, there's no food to eat, can't get it, don't have money, costs way too much. Uh, 
Back in Germany, in the 30s, economic despair, spiritual despair, political chaos, economic depression, small businesses were collapsing all over the country and all over Europe. Somebody was looking to somebody to lead them. Hitler arose out of nowhere. Hitler was really just a nobody, a, a lowly corporal. Went up through the ranks. Obscurity is where he came from, but he became a central figure in the world and he became demon-possessed. He was very satanically inspired. Um, everything about the, you know, Hitler and the Reich, Third Reich, and everything that they believed, it was inspired by uh, Satan. It was demonic. And they plunged the whole of Europe into despair. It was a reign of terror. A preview was what would will be like in our Revelation 13. One greater than Hitler will come along. People will be in such despair that he comes with his marvelous appearance, transcendent abilities that he has, indescribable magnetism, and the people just fall to him. And they, he, it's just like he possesses them. Uh, he's indwelt by a demon out of the abyss. He'll have great authority. The world will give authority for all of it is in his hands. They're willing to give it up for peace and comfort and security. And so, here we go back to Revelation, and, and this follows suit. If you have one this way, he's given all authority, right? Dragon gave him power and a throne, great authority. In verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So, they're all, you know, he's offering peace, and then somewhere along the line, I don't know when this is, but one of his heads uh, is, is slain. And in 17, verse 8, it says, The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Verse 11, The beast which was and is not is himself also an ape. He embodies Everything that those other beasts were, Alexander the Great and going back to Nebuchadnezzar and the Medes and the Persians, he embodies all that they were, their greatness, and it's much more because he's totally inspired by Satan. So how great they were, he they can't hold a candle to him. Each individual are all added up. Um, and he goes to destruction. He talks about the ten horns there in verse 13. These have a one purpose, and they give the power and authority to the beast. Uh, so, you just go on, on there, there. We see that uh, he is one who has slain this beast. Uh, he deceives the whole world, I think, here, in what I consider to be something like a fake death. Could be that he dies and he resurrects, and I can't see that. I cannot see Satan resurrecting him. God could do anything, and he could do that. I just... Had a little trouble with it, and so I tend to think because of the amazing powers and wonders and miracles, things that are done with trickery even, with those kind of powers and signs that the false prophet brings, 
it could make him look like he really died and really comes back to life and the people see this wouldn't you be amazed wouldn't you be overwhelmed well at any rate uh, I think a satanic ruse is pulled off where he supposedly rises from the dead you'll see 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 and it says, um, it's talking about this lawless one and such, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. I think that is probably into play with the death and his resurrection. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Um, this lie that they're believing, it could be a lot of things. And I'm not necessarily saying it's this thing right here, but I think it would be possible that it could, this would what would be amaze them more than even anything. Um, hopefully that makes sense. I got it. It worked that time. Thank you, John. Um, People are amazed. I think it's fabricated, but the whole earth is amazed. Then we go to the worship of the beast. Who is like the beast? Uh, the people are actually saying this now, that what he has done... By the way, there was a true resurrection uh, or in Revelation sometime probably later after this where God resurrects the two witnesses where everybody sees them, they come back to life, so God can do that. <laughs> But, okay, uh, or this amaze, verse 4, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. They worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? So, you see the, the worship that they have? In Exodus 15, 11, it says, who is like God? In Isaiah, in the Psalms, who is like God? What are the people saying? Who is like the beast? That's like he's God. They accept and trust in this must be the Messiah. Hmm. They worship the dragon. It says in verse 4, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. So how do they worship Satan? These are Satan worshipers, whether they admit it or not. Because he gave his authority to the beast. As people fall down and worship him, you are God, you're the only God. Who is like you? You are God. They're doing that. They're worshiping Satan, and Satan is having his field. This is what he wanted in the first place. He wanted to be like God. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. He wanted to be like, he gets his wish. Not going to last long. The people are worshiping Satan finally in the biggest way that it ever has been. So, he has the authority. Whole, worship, uh, whole world is worshiping. We get the blasphemy. We don't need a lot of explanation on that. It's arrogant words that he speaks. Verse 6, he opened his mouth. And blasphemy. Oh, by the way, five. It was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words. 
uh, in Daniel. It speaks of the same kind of thing where he speaks arrogant words. He blasphemes God. He blasphemes God by not only by some of the terrible language that he speaks, but it's that he is God. There's no more blasphemy that you can have than to say that you are God. Except for God, right? There was given to him about speaking arrogant words, blasphemies, and authority to act now for the three and a half months. At the end, the first three and a half months, he's coming in peace, and then he unleashes it. For the last three and a month, he opened his mouth on blasphemies against God. Remember, he comes into the temple, and he proclaims himself to be God. Right? Jesus foretold that. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. He's blaming, or blaspheming all of heaven, all of God. Verse 7, we, we move on. It's dealing with the warfare of the beast. And his warfare is going to go against the saints. It was also given to him to make war with the saints because they're not worshiping Satan or the beast. Christians are the only ones that ultimately are saying that Jesus is God. And to overcome them, and I want you to catch this, this is part of God's plan. Now, am I, really, am I saying that this is us right here today? I'm not necessarily saying that. But there are going to be people living whenever this time comes. There will be people that Antichrist will make war with, and he will overcome them. They, he will, Satan will overcome them. It's not positive speech, <laughs> but actually it is. Amen. Because you go to heaven, you finally go to where you want to go anyway. This is just a journey we're on. God uses that for his glory. I'd much rather have this new body resurrection than this body anyway. And that's why he gives a warning at the end here, we're almost there. And he talks about authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everybody that's there will give worship. As Satan never had that kind of worship, nobody has ever had that kind of worship. He got it. He gets it, or he will get it, folks. Except for those names have not been written from the, the ones who will get all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If your name is not in the book, you're not a believer. What will you do? You will worship Satan. Only God has ones who are chosen that maybe not that are elect, that are not believers yet. They won't worship Satan. But the ones who are destined, they will. The ones who will not. God knows who those are. When were you written into the book of life? For the foundation of the world. It has nothing to do with what they were going to do at that time. Or have done in their lives. It was because they were written before the Lamb of God. The, you know, the, you know, for the foundation of the world. The book of life. The Lamb who has been slain. It's written in, his, in that book. If you were put in that before all of this ever happened, before you even were born, before the world was created. So all of that is dealing with, it's for people he will protect. 
Arrogant words. He swears the people has a mouth speaking of pompous words. Even cynics will be swayed and taken in by his words. The warfare of the beast then. He's persecuting the saints. It means to wear down. It means to wear them out. Daniel 7.25. They're going to be moving from one place to another. Underground churches. And they're going to be found. And eventually they're going to be arrested. And then they are going to be martyred. They will have that happen to many of them. And therefore, here's the warning. It's found at the end, right at the start of verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now, in Revelation 2 and 3, spoke to the seven churches, and after the, you know, each one of those churches, he says, if you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Remember? Here it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He may be even speaking to people who are not believers. He says, you need to wake up. You need to hear this and trust in Christ. How about the saints? They would say, it's like this, he says this. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If God, if you wind up being captive and taken in prison, did you know that ultimately that is God's will? Now, I know you're going to have difficulty. We're right at the end, and I'm going to have to stop it. And I might go into this next week a little bit. What I'm saying here is, say, Dennis, that leaves a lot of difficulty. What I'm saying, anything that comes in your life, God uses. There's going to come a time, at this time right here that he's mentioned, don't, don't resist it. Don't get out the sword. Don't, you know, if you have an ear, listen to this. The beast is going to overcome the saints. Except the personality that God has given here, ultimately he's allowed to happen. This Antichrist, some believers are going to be imprisoned, then they'll be executed, and God ultimately has to ordain it. Or you can say Satan is winning this thing. So it's a good and evil here. And it's God, is he going to win? Well, right, no. This is part of his plan. What, what he does in his graciousness, if they're true believers, if they're believers, he takes them right out of whatever else is going to happen. It would be better that he takes them now rather than to even suffer more. First Peter 2, verse 19 through 21 and it goes against the grain of some of the nice, popular, easy theology where everything should be perfect and everybody should have a, a million dollars and have your own private planes. And, and you've heard all of that stuff. And that is absolutely believe, uh, unbelievable because it's not biblical. And by the way, if you hear somebody teaching that, that you should have, God has ordained for every Christian to be millionaires and everything's going to go good for you. That's a false teacher. That is an antichrist that First John chapter 2 warns about. That is not biblical Christianity. That wasn't the way of the early days of the saints of the church and never has been all through church history. And they will be persecuted. And they will be killed, martyred. It's always happened in the past. So here's a word to the saints that are even believing at that time. 1 Peter 2 says in chapter... Let me get the right book, right? Verse 19... For this finds favor if in the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows 
when suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if there, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. The perfect one. It happened to him. Those who are in Christ will be persecuted. Christ warned it constantly. He never gave a health, wealth, gospel guarantee. Granted, it's great. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And he blesses us all the time. If you want to look at our material goods, we've had more than anybody on the face of this earth. We have a lot to be thankful for, but I will tell you, it's not about money. It's not even about our bodies. It's about Christ and his plan. And for this purpose, he had people suffer in this world. He's saying, don't resist. If that's what's going to happen, then that's it. Look at the early church. That's what they did. God has ordained this whole plan. And you can say, Dennis, that sounds horrible. This whole thing is just bad news. No, everything that we said this morning is great news. This is God telling, here's what's going to happen in the future. It might be way, way ahead of us. But it's something going to happen, a one-world system, and Christians are not going to be welcome. Is that very unbelievable? No. It's happening today. We are not welcome. Anything that we believe now is being challenged, even the most basic things. And so I say, keep believing what you know to be true. Don't fall under pressure. Don't cave as some are doing. Just keep doing and staying on the path. God has told us what's in the future. It may not be our future. But I'm telling you, it's great good news. God has it all under control. This is nothing. He's already, he wrote this before Satan even knew it. Before he even, Satan's fulfilling it out and doesn't know he's actually doing God's will. Could it have been different? No, because God's plan is, there can only be one way. Are there possibilities that, okay, take it in that sense. Could he have done something different and not have sin and not have all this? Yeah. But, We'd never know what grace is. We'd never know what, what it is to have mercy, to have the love of God that's been shed upon that. You think about that, folks, and this is all good news. We just looked at the good news because this is anti-Christ. We have the true Christ, the truly resurrected one, and we have everything to have hope about. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are awesome indeed. Your word is truth. There are difficulties as we look at uh, interpreting passages, but when it's all said and done, we all come down to the thing that we know there's going to be an uprising in this world like it's never been before. And we know that it looks like Satan's going to get his way. It looks like he's winning. It looks like he's winning right now, Lord, of what's happened in the last year. But we know better. You are winning. You wrote the story and you will come to the rescue. You are the, our rescue. Even today, right now, you are our Savior. And we proclaim this truth as part of your plan. And thank you, Lord, for letting us delve into some depths that are incredible. Help us to understand who you are. It's all about Christ. In Jesus' name we pray again.
ngwen emoni asibitanyor komangunet nekiyakoke nikashukuru ye over alie tumama na piwa kuwa bwana waache katika inji ili hata nami nipate tumaini kwa maana nilikuwa nimepoteza matumaini so atinya gongoi nao entaita choba ngamungia ngmaotik aenko bwangwen emoni asigenyorune komangunet Nina furaha sana na nashukuru manapiwa kuwa bwana kwa kwa, eh, kwa kutumwa na Yehova ili nami nipate tumaini kama mamawini. Asante. Ko asante.